What is up? What is going on, everybody? This week, we are talking about something that is so tragic. I could never imagine doing anything to try to forget my two co-hosts, and we hope that you never forget us. It would be awful. Don't even think about it. Talk about it on the other side of the song. Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of The Threequel. As always, I'm one of your three co-hosts, Ethan Klein, here with my partners in crime, Mike Duranick and Brad Miller. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? Well, now that some of our technical difficulties are fixed from the first one, I am doing much, much better. <laughs> uh, I, am, I am doing great as well. Uh, excited to talk this movie with you guys. Yes, we, uh, we're, we're doing the double up this week, so you guys should have already listened to our episode of Pretty Woman. If you haven't, go back and check that out. Uh, we're recording back-to-back here. Had some issues while recording Pretty Woman, but uh, we have figured that all out. We're still determined to bring you the same level of mediocre entertainment uh, that we try to do each and every single week. And uh, as you've noticed by clicking on the episode name here uh we are talking eternal sunshine of the spotless mind mike's pick for the month of march this movie came out in 2004 uh so gentlemen let's hop right into it ask you the same question every single week what was your first experience with eternal sunshine of the spotless mind was it in theaters in 2004 did you catch it a little bit later on tv streaming rent it however it was and then what did you bring into this rewatch this week for the podcast? My first experience with this movie was laying in bed last night watching it. So I brought nothing into a rewatch because this was not a rewatch for me. This was a first. So looking at the, the timeline here, I am pretty positive I didn't see this in theater. I'm certain I bought it because my friend John... Um, said, hey, this is a good movie. You should watch it. And that was back in the uh, time of my life when I was like, well, I'm just going to build a huge DVD collection, um, which I I still own to this day, although who knows why. Um, And so I I watched it and uh, enjoyed it very much then. And it was one of those. It's a movie that uh, I don't immediately get drawn to. I've seen parts of it when it's been on cable or things like that uh, at different points. But uh, it was it was uh, exciting to have a chance to rewatch it when I saw it on the list this month. Uh, it just jumped right out to me. Uh, so my experience is very similar to Brad's, except my first experience with it was uh, three hours ago when I fired it up before we started recording tonight. Um, I knew what it was. I've heard so for years. I've heard right. If any conversation about Jim Carrey comes up, of course it starts with the comedy career, and we'll get into that. Uh, but that conversation in the movie industry always comes back around to. But just so you know, he's not just comedic. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is so great. Um, and, and I knew the premise of it was these people that were breaking up and they were getting this medical procedure done. And but it just it never the opportunities that I had to watch it. I was just never in a space where I was like, yeah, I want to watch a movie about people breaking up, uh, you know, and, and that was kind of the, what I put on this movie. And that's what this movie is. Uh, but there's definitely a lot more to it. Uh, and I, I probably would have never gotten around uh, to experiencing it had Mike not picked it uh, this month. So 
let's dive in. I said, you know, the comedy career and, and Jim Carrey, so we can start things right there. We've not talked Jim Carrey on this podcast, I don't believe. Uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I do not remember doing a Jim Carrey film. Um, and, it, and it's so crazy because, you know, we talk so often what is the peak or the first thing you go to and, and things like that. And I, I mean, knowing you guys the way that I do, I have a, an image in my head of what you both will say, but he is one of these guys where you can make arguments for a lot of different things. The run that he had uh, in the mid nineties going Ace Ventura, the mask dumb and dumber. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't a Batman movie. The second Ace Ventura, liar, liar. I mean, this guy could do no wrong in the mid-90s. Um, so it's really hard to pick. I mean, as a kid, Liar, Liar was my favorite one, and it's probably still my favorite one. So I will go. I will always go there just because of how much I enjoy it. I'm sure you guys have different picks. But this guy, uh, his light burned brighter than most could ever dream of. Yeah, I think that you really like that movie because <laughs> I was going to say because your boobs are huge, but I wasn't sure how that was going to come across <laughs> on, a, on a podcast. <laughs> uh, I had to pause there for a second, but uh, it's because you got huge jugs. Um, but uh, anyways, I'm just thankful you didn't say the mask because I figured like there's some group of people that think that that's a good movie and, and like that. And I just, I can't stand it. And it was where he kind of lost me for a little bit. But for me, it's uh it's probably a tie between Ace Ventura and dumb and dumber. And if I had to go to one, it's probably dumb and dumber just because um, I think it holds up just a little bit better um, than some of the, uh, the craziness of Ace Ventura. So, um, but I, I I think a, a dark horse for one of the most quotable movies that he's in, though, and it made a little bit of a comeback at this year's Super Bowl uh, was The Cable Guy. So Jim Carrey, uh, my wife is a huge fan of Jim Carrey's. She still to this day, if either one of the Ace Venturas come on, she wants to watch it if she sees it on the TV. Um, and so, you know, when I think back to Jim Carrey, I, I do think of Dumb and Dumber first and foremost. I mean, for me, that that is probably the Jim Carrey movie I've seen the most. It's probably the one that I would have the easiest time quoting. Um, but that run is extremely impressive. Uh, but moving on later, I mean, that's where I really gained an appreciation for Jim Carrey. And I think what made it so I was willing to give this movie a try back then is movies like The Truman Show, Man on the Moon, where he showed a little bit of a different side, uh, where he had the comedic ability, yes, but a little bit more, um, you know, gravitas and ability to play uh, the acting role. I was talking with somebody today and said, you know, I, I think Robin Williams ruined me for comedians for my entire life, because I, it was just a couple of weeks back, even as we were talking Happy Gilmore, that I was trying to argue about Adam Sandler's acting chops. And here I am offering you guys uh, an example of Jim Carrey's acting chops. But I do think for those who are effective at kind of slapstick comedy and are really effective at playing up to that, they may have a, a different level that they can take it. And it also adds something to it when you see somebody who, you know, like Jim Carrey, you're used to him, Ace Ventura, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, and then you see him in something like this, it catches you off guard. Yeah, he's definitely, he's got the dramatic ability. Um, Man on the Moon in and of itself is 
a fantastic showing of that. But if you've never seen the Netflix documentary, and I don't remember what it's called, it may be the same name. I don't know. No, it's Jim and Andy. That's what it's called. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's a fantastic look into the psyche of an actor, uh, what someone's willing to do. Not that all actors go the route that Jim Carrey did, uh, but it, it, it was a fantastic look uh, into the making of that film and the talent that Jim Carrey is. And I, I tell you, there's nothing, I mean, because I did enjoy him as a kid, Brad, I did enjoy The Mask as a kid. I have not watched it in years because I know what it is. Um, so I have not traveled back into that realm, but was such a big fan of his growing up and he fell off pretty good. I mean, you start getting into the incredible Burt Wonderstones and Kick-Ass 2, the second Dumb and Dumber, it, like it's going bad. Um, not a movie marketed for you guys. Well, I mean, you guys do have younger kids, though. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, I enjoyed the hell of. And I'm telling you, I'm excited for the second one. And him being in it is what has done it for me because it's allowed him to be old school Jim Carrey. And I loved every second that he was on screen in that. And I'm absolutely going to go see the new one uh, in a couple of weeks, probably review it on TikTok too. Um, because seeing him be able to be himself and not just fall on his face uh, brings 10 year old Ethan a lot of joy. Brad, I know you rolled your eyes. I don't know if you got forced to watch that movie. Uh, no, I haven't. But I, roles like that, just I don't know. Like I, I can't, uh, I can't get behind them. And I, from everything I've seen, I, I can't judge it because I haven't seen it. Um, but it just seems like a movie I would hate. So I think that's why I rolled my eyes. Um, but uh, I want to give a shout out to In Living Color too, because that's really where, uh, you know. Obviously, that's where I first saw Jim Carrey, and he was just fantastic on that show as the, uh, I guess he was kind of the token white guy, if, if you want to go that way. And and he had these over-the-top characters, but was able to hang with those guys and was just really, really impressive. Uh, Fireman Ed, maybe? I can't remember his his real name, but... Uh, um, Fire Marshal Bill? I, I can't remember. Anyways, it was just classic character. Um but yeah, just I, I've enjoyed his career as a whole for sure. Yeah, and I think in the back half of his career after this, um, really the only one that jumps out to me, uh, I have not seen Sonic the Hedgehog, but I look forward to you pulling it as your pick in three years when it's eligible for the podcast, just so that Brad has to eat his words there. Um, but uh, Yes Man in 2008, I would get, I, I appreciated that as well. And I, I think in the last, 15 years, that's probably the only one on the list that I'm looking at that makes me say, okay, that, that was solid. It delivered. It wasn't spectacular, but it delivered uh, what it set out to do. I would agree. Flipping to the other side of the leading characters, Kate Winslet. Brad, I don't know if you remember this, but Kate Winslet is was at the center of one of the most heated arguments you and I have ever had. Um, oh, yeah. Me. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> thought but... thought about it through this whole film, and uh, <laughs> still to this day think that you're absolutely wrong. Um, it, yeah, it blows my mind, especially when. Yeah, I just I I don't get it, but hey, to to each their own. Um, we we don't need to to fully dive into it, but Brad and I have had some heated moments over Kate Winslet. What I will say uh, about her is something that is no surprise to anyone. One of the most talented actresses in Hollywood for a long time. I, you know, I just counted up seven Oscar nominees 
nominee seven Oscar nominations. This being one of them, she has a victory. Uh, so she is one of the most well-respected actresses in the game. Uh, and, and you see it on display here um, from just how different her character is from scene to scene. Understandably. So this movie did win an Academy award for its writing. Um, and, and she does have to display com- a completely different person almost every time that she's on screen, uh, even down to the point where she is a figment of his imagination almost. And it does come across that way. Like she was amazing in this movie and I'll pull it up kind of, as you guys give your thoughts, she got nominated. I I'm curious to see who won because she, she was fantastic in this movie. Well, I, uh, can't say that I'm the biggest fan, but also not the biggest critic of Kate Winslet. I, I believe if I'm looking at this right, I've only seen her in three movies. Uh, I have not seen her in most of her Academy Award nominated films. Uh, so Titanic, of course, this and then uh, Finding Neverland are the only movies I've seen her in. Um, out of those, this is by far my favorite performance of hers and is definitely the one that would make me say that I would be you know, happy to see her in another film. I'm glad you mentioned that, and I, I won't make you weigh in on the uh, on her on her looks because that's where Ethan and I got into a big heated argument uh, because he made some asinine comment about uh, her appearance. But anyways, yeah, I, I absolutely agree, um, Mike, that this role earns earns respect enough to have her, you know, to watch her in other things. Um, I think that, you know, Titanic is what it is. I, I, you know, I think I didn't enjoy the film, but I'm not going to hate on it for, uh, I mean, it served its purpose back, back when it came out, but overall I am a fan of hers. I think she's a, a very underrated actress actually. Um, and because of this, I think I'm going to go back and try to see some other things that she's in that I've missed over the years. So it's, it's odd. I, I've actually just going through her filmography. I've seen her in quite a bit. Not much of it. I've enjoyed not through any fault of her. Own. I hate Titanic. I always will. It, I, I, I don't understand it. I, that the fact that that thing is the juggernaut that it was makes no sense to me, but it's a different conversation for a different day. Uh, again, not a fault of her own. I've seen her in quite a bit. She is incredibly talented. She just often doesn't pick projects that I necessarily enjoy. And I think even this good movie leaning, you know, uh, above average, even, I don't know if I'll ever watch this movie again, just because of the subject matter. Right. And I mean, Mike, you, you yourself, you're the one of us that's seen this. It's been, you said 16 years since you've seen it, right? This isn't a movie that just brings you back for rewatch after rewatch because of what it's about. Um, she does pick that stuff, but I do want to say though, I, I got to take this moment. Um, I'm assuming neither one of you have watched Mayor of Easttown on HBO. I have not. So watched it probably about a year ago, uh, somewhere around that time. It is the closest a TV show has come, a limited, you know, one season thing to the first season of True Detective for me. I mean, it is a half a step behind it. That is one of the best TV shows I've ever watched. It's seven episodes. It's one season, limited series, won a ton of awards, rightly so. She won the Emmy for it. That thing, this is just my hop on my soapbox here. To anyone that has not watched Mayor of Easttown, go watch that. It is amazing. It has great twists, 
fantastic performances from everybody, but she is at the top of it, leading the way. Why has she been nominated so often in her career? Because she is a powerhouse, and she really, really shows it in that show. So if you want to take that moment, please go see that. And apparently, she's an Avatar too. James Cameron bringing the crew back. Is yeah. he in that one as well? Um, <laughs> if he is, they've hidden it quite well. But they've been um, making this movie for 15 years, so maybe he filmed a scene a long time ago that he doesn't even remember. Uncredited role. Right. Um, outside of that, you have a lot of people that pop up in this. We certainly don't have enough time to touch on everybody. Um, Elijah Wood proving uh, uh, just why I hated Frodo uh, <laughs> in those movies. Uh Mike, you, you made a joke about that as well, but um, you know he does pop up in this. Mark Ruffalo, who we've talked about before, who I always enjoy seeing. Uh, Tom Wilkinson, another one that when he's on screen, he, he just brings something. If Tom Wilkinson's on screen, I feel like everybody's doing their job, right? Like Tom Wilkinson doesn't come in and just sell something short. He does what he's supposed to do, and he, and he brings it in this as well. If there's anybody you guys want to specifically touch on, go for it. Um, but I, I just think everybody stood out in the right way. Yeah, I, I, you hit the main ones. I know you said early on you weren't a huge uh, Kirsten Dunst fan, and um, I think that she she played this part exactly for what it needed to be played for, um, and, and I think that she did well with it, um, but it's not a standout part. Uh, for me, the, the two that really made this movie click beyond, uh, obviously, Winslet and Carrie, were Ruffalo and Wilkinson. Their roles uh, did a lot. I mean, Ruffalo stole scene after scene that he was in, did a really great job there. Um, and so I think when you can have a movie where your two leads just nail it the way that Carrie and Winslet did, and then you can have two supporting uh, roles like Ruffalo and Wilkinson knock it out of the park, it's a, it's a solid ensemble. Yeah, outside of the ones you guys just talked about, I don't really have anything to add. I just I think that they did a pretty good job with casting here, and I had had no complaints with how anybody played their played their characters. Yeah, and even even uh, poor Frodo, right? Um, as much of a creep as his character was, Elijah Wood played that character very very well. Um, he made your skin crawl, and you not like the guy, and I, that's yeah. what they were going for. I, I I love the douchebag choice of those sideburns. Um, about this film, it was those stupid sideburns because I hated watching them. I don't know if there was any way to make him look uh, more unappealing in any way in this film, but those sideburns were uh, were pretty close to being it. So this will be an easier answer for you, Brad. Uh, Mike, you've got to go back a few years to the first time you saw it. Um, I felt like, you know, I... I figured out that twist almost the second he walked on screen or at least like when he first, when Jim Carrey is remembering and he says like, she was with some other guy, like, and maybe they did it on purpose. It it seemed like they wanted to block him out, but like to me, just watching it, it seemed very obvious who that was standing there, even though it was behind her head and behind something else. What got me, I audibly was, I said, Oh shit was the second twist and maybe that's the point they they kind of give away the one for the other i did not see the stuff with tom wilkinson going and that was a moment for me as we kind of transition into talking about the movie as a whole where the movie itself started to take a step up at that point because it did surprise me and it gave a different level to what's really happening with these people what what is the the moral dilemma going on with pulling memories out of someone yeah, I think that I, I don't know if it was an easy twist to figure 
it out pretty early on. I remember thinking like, okay. Um, and I even said like the, this changes when she goes in for the toothbrush. Like I knew that that was all post, um, post the mind erasing and that they had some, uh, found each other again. Um, and I really like how the rest of the movie after that sets up how they did, like they really went to these lengths of like, you know, using brains and their psychology to, to outsmart these people erasing their, their memories and hiding her in places that they may not be able to find. And, uh, when she leans in and whispers, you know, I think it was called mod, mod town or something, meet me at mod town. And, um, it really then, to me, that was really cool how they played that and then replayed everything you saw at the beginning, including the, the damage to the car, you know, like that was really well done. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, that twist was easy to figure out for me. Um, I think the, uh, I saw the, I saw the twist coming a little bit with, uh, uh, what's the, the girl's name? Um, some dance. And dunce. I saw that coming a little bit, not to the point of um, them having a pat. I saw the relationship with him, uh, you know, going somewhere, and it, you could kind of tell that something was off through that whole thing. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I think, like you said, that that movie did it did pick up that too, um, to when it really got to uh, kind of tying up all the loose ends and making it uh, come full circle. Yeah, and I can't remember what my initial response was all those years ago. But what I can say is that um, the ethics behind um, you know what they were doing and the the real moral dilemma that that you face when you talk about like, well, I'm going to erase my memories. Um, I think that they did a really wonderful job of being able to bring that up both through the twist with Elijah um, Elijah Wood as well as through the relationship the prior relationship with Dunstan with Wilkinson's character um, because you can just layer things on top of that you know who's who's taking advantage of who um, and to what degree I think what I appreciate the most is that they don't fall into the trap of trying to answer that question for us and in some ways they don't even ask the question right mm -hmm. like it's not even that it's a huge plot point. It just happens. And they trust that the audience is smart enough to ask that question for themselves and then have a conversation. And I think that more than anything is what I'll end up walking away appreciating about this movie is that it tells a story that in and of itself asks you a ton of questions and then just hopes that you have a conversation about it. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, obviously we talk about, a movie every week on this podcast we like talking about movies um, my favorite movies that we end up doing we have fun with the actions and the comedies but when we can have a conversation just about what the movie is saying that's what i enjoy the most and i really liked that they didn't give their opinion on it because there is nothing at the end that says that they're even going to go out of business right i mean tom wilkinson says like we'll talk later and mark ruffalo doesn't quit he in some ways i don't even think that he will Right. Like, cause he says like, I would quit if I were you, but he doesn't say I'm also leaving to mm -hmm. Kirsten Dunst. He just has an understanding of where she's at. So I'm glad that they just kind of leave it out there and like, let's just have a conversation. Yeah. I think it's pretty well done. And I, it does. I, I like what you just said there. It leaves it up to the audience. It trusts the audience to carry that conversation forward in their own mind and, and with their friends and the people that they watched it with. 
um, to whatever end they want to. Uh, so I, I like the way that, uh, that you put that. I, I will say, I'm curious what you guys think. I mean, I'll burst the bubble if anyone looks at this as a happy ending. I don't have any faith that those two people are going to stay together and have a successful relationship at all. Like, and I don't know if that's necessarily the point of the movie, um, but I'm, I am curious what you guys think. It, to me, like, it was nice seeing him find the happiness in his memories, but it seems like at the end of the day, these are two people that just probably aren't going to end up together. I hadn't thought about that until you just posed the question, but I would, my, my reaction is that I guess I kind of disagree when you go through something like this and think about if, if at the beginning of a relationship that you were going to enter into, you could just air out all the flaws of that person, the things that, that piss you off or that you find annoying or that you just, you know, uh, maybe start as endearing and then just wear off over time. And then you get that out there, you understand it. And then you also decide to work through that and stay together, both acknowledging that, Hey, we're effed up people, but we're in this together. I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's a fair point. I feel like, first off, if I heard a recording of someone saying the things that they said about each other, like it'd be really hard for me not to be upset. And I also feel like, I don't know. I think the beauty of a relationship is stumbling upon those things and seeing how you handle them. But I think too, again, like this is honestly just talking about this. Like I, I enjoyed this movie, just even us having this conversation and you seeing it differently in that way. Brad is like making me appreciate the movie even more. It's, it's making its way higher on my list just as we have this conversation right now, because it has an ability to give us such vastly different looks and I don't think in any way either of us are wrong. Yeah, so I agree with what you guys have both said. I, I have no idea, but it does just bring to mind two real thoughts for me. You know, the first is to kind of go back to a cocktail to a Tom Cruise movie, right? Nothing ends well, otherwise it wouldn't end. Well, that's definitely seen at the beginning of this movie as he is remembering all of these bad memories, right? But I think it also represents another thing, which is given enough time, time heals wounds, right? And as he was going back further into time, what he was left with was these memories of what they did have and what the relationship might have been. Uh, and I think, you know, we all know relationships are hard work. You, you are you're constantly trying to find a way to bring what you want and another person into the middle and make it work. And on the one hand, I, I think it would be, I agree with you, Ethan, really, really hard to hear someone say those things about you and then be like, so let's try to have a relationship. You know, we, we know where this is going to end. You're going to absolutely hate me and want to erase all memory of me. But on the flip side, I do think that uh, there's something to be said for. And in spite of that, I still want to try. Uh, and that belief, that forgiveness, that uh, positive regard um, can be pretty powerful. And so who, who knows, right? But what we do know is it shows in that, uh, in that scene and as they are kind of resolving to continue to try this, I think really wonderfully the complexity of relationships period. Yeah. I, I think that in some ways, like th this couple was given a gift, you know, like given the gift to prove to yourself that this is what you really want. I mean, in, in the end she erased him, but it's because, and I think she referred to this, like she's impulsive and she got angry and she made this choice. And then he did it because 
he was hurting and just wanted to move past and not, you know, not feel that uh, the hurt of that loss. And they were given a gift because while walking through this um, now, I, I don't know how active a role that she was really playing other than something in his mind, but were able to determine that this is not something that they wanted to lose, that they wanted to fight for it. And they went to, every degree they could to save it in the end and realize like, Hey, if, if we had done this a little bit different or if, Hey, had you come back for this or had you stayed for this? Like, you know, and she's saying, hide me and, and let's get together. Like that's an amazing gift that they were given. And, um, just showing like, Hey, look how easy it would have been to just walk away from this, but we're not going to. And I, I think that's a really cool thing that, that they were given in the end. Yeah, uh, I agree. We can uh, shift gears here to uh, the Rotten Tomatoes game. Um, and, and in all fairness, uh, I watched this on Peacock. So we, we've gone over this before. Same. I now, Brad, same. Oh, well, all right. So maybe we can put the Rotten Tomatoes game on pause for a we'll just I let Mike. It, I watched it on my DVD. <laughs> Let's let Mike just guess and, and show how good he is at this game. We just won't compete with anything. Mike, uh, so next next week then I will be competing against Mike, but Mike, just for some glory here. No, um, that's not right. Someone's competing against me because I didn't get to compete in Pretty Woman. So I, I think that we just found out that you lost either way, Brad. <laughs> uh, yes, I yeah, I beat Mike in Pretty Woman. So, Brad. Um, so next week, Ethan and I will compete against each other. We're going to give Mike a chance to show off here and, and get the number right to this to the audience. Okay. Well, man. I have no earthly idea on this one. I can't believe uh, you guys stuck me with having to do it alone. Mike, I'm gonna let me give you a little bit of a hint because I, I think that you deserve a chance, and I want you to nail this right on. There's been two movies we've done that have thoroughly surprised me. One was Interstellar, and the other one was this. Well, three. And Ethan, I'll give you credit for Arrival. That one surprised me too. Um, <laughs> However, of those three films, two have ended up in my top 10 and one really close. This is actually coming in at number 10 and bumps the list for me. I was, I loved it. So impressed by it. I'm so glad you picked it. And my, me putting it in the top 10 is a pretty good reflection of where it ends up on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm going to, I'm going to serve it up on a silver platter for you and see if you can nail this number. I want you to get it within 1% either way. <laughs> All right. Well, mm, well, it's got to be in the '90s. Then the only question is whether I'm going to go upper '90s or lower '90s, and I will go with. I don't see. I don't remember it being that well received by critics back then. But this is the kind of movie that sometimes critics love, even though it doesn't get a big release. I'm going to go with '90. 91. You you did complete Brad's goal. You were within that 1%. 92 is where the critics oh have it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the audience up at 94. Okay. Um, and this does stick with the, the, the Oscar bait kind of film, right? Like, people loved, people loved it when they talked about it, um, but not many people saw it. $20 million to make, $74 million on the gross. So, I mean, it did. I mean, three times its budget. That's great. Um, but it is, it's just a smaller film. Compared to, you know, we talked 14 million for Pretty Woman last week and it made 
almost half a billion dollars, but that's not what this movie is, is there for. Um, Sometimes the smaller ones are the best ones, right, Ethan? That's what I've always said. I've been trying to uh, push that narrative for years. Um, and it wasn't until May 9th, 2021, uh, when I got someone to agree with me. Uh, so <laughs> here's to many more. Um, <laughs> I may have actually finally broke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh... I think we just jumped the shark. I don't know. Um, I don't really know what you're referring to um, on that date, but I and I don't really want to guess go down that path. So we'll just say, okay. <laughs> I, for what it's worth, passed out, and I I was in utter shock. I mean, I just want to clear the air of like one thing. Like, I did not just reveal the day that I lost my virginity on on the podcast. Like, it, uh, just so we're all clear on on, on at least that. Um, whew, right, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, uh, we'll try to bring it back here. Um, man, that I, was probably right up there with Eight Men Out for sure. Um, the title of our favorite movie. I, uh, I, man, I had something really insightful to say, and we're just going to have to just keep rolling through. Um, <laughs> favorite line, favorite scene, gentlemen. Uh, let, let's go with uh, favorite scene. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to pause and, and let you guys talk. I've got a few that I really enjoy that I'm trying to narrow down. Let me see if there's, if I go a direction after hearing some of your choices. I mean, I, I just, I got to go with, the reveal that um, Wilkinson and Dunst had a past together because it's really hard for me to separate any one specific scene of uh, Winslet and Carrie's relationship. And that's not to say that this movie isn't elevated beyond that because it, I mean, those scenes are fantastic. Again, it's some of the best storytelling I've seen talking about, you know, the reality of relationships, right? This movie is not a fairy tale. Uh, this is truly in a lot of ways, uh, the real, the real deal here. Um, while it is also a sci-fi movie, but, um, just that reveal that really hit me and how it unfolds in it, the way it manipulates your emotions. Cause I went from his wife pulls up and I'm, I'm like, oh no, this poor guy, right? Like he's telling her that they can't do this. And then he, then he kisses her again. And I'm like, well, okay, you freaking idiot. Now your wife's out there. Your whole life's going to get blown up. And then there's the reveal of you've already had him. Like that is just a masterclass in storytelling. We talk about twists on this podcast all the time. What are good? What are bad? That's how you do it. You get us emotionally involved in multiple different ways and then drop the nuke on us. I just thought that was a, just perfect writing, perfect execution. So that's my favorite scene. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, I think the one that spoke to me the most on this watch was uh, the scene before the beach memory is deleted. Um, and so I am uh, I am cheating absolutely because uh, this was my runner-up for uh, favorite quote from this scene. But uh, just the way that they're sitting there talking when she's saying, you know, we're almost out of time, right? Um, and he, so what are we going to do? And his, just the way Jim Carrey delivers the, you know, I know, and then just the enjoy it. And they're just sitting there right next to each other. Um, I thought that it was a great culmination of what had happened up to that point with all these memories, just getting, you know, deleted 
uh, rushing up to that moment. So that's going to be my favorite scene. Yeah, I think mine is the the uh, her saying, you know, meet me here and then seeing how that plays out afterwards where you had already seen it at the beginning of the film, um, because the first time around, um, you know, I thought she was very awkward and and kind of like, you know, I was put off by her and her interactions with him. But then seeing as well, this is actually really people that have had a, a very long, intimate relationship and shared the most with each other. It kind of showed how comfortable it was for her to get close to him again on that train. And I just really like the whole reconnection, even including the part with the tape and then standing in the hallway at the end and saying, let's give this a shot. And then, you know, she kind of is crying and saying, okay, at the same time. And I just, I think that was a great culmination to that film. Um, again, just thoroughly impressed by this. I, it was one of those that just, uh, um, hit the right marks in a lot of ways for me on, on storytelling and, and filmmaking and, and acting. I think acting wise, this is probably Jim Carrey's best film for me. Um, just from a pure acting standpoint um, and might even be Winslet's too, like just masterclass acting performances in this film. Um, well done by those two. And um, I, I thanked Mike earlier today for picking this movie and uh, hopefully we can have a few hidden gems in there like this one in the future. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now. I mean, I've seen the reader, which is what she won for. I was never for a second half as engaged as I was for this entire movie and it's because of her performance i think the scene i mean i didn't pick it as our favorite scene and we didn't touch on it i hope you guys aren't going to use this as a favorite line i'm notorious for stealing stuff from you guys uh but i think like the scene that got her her nomination the one that is um her talking about the doll when she was a kid right and and hoping that if she could make the doll pretty she would be pretty that 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 broke me in half that that was fantastic on both their parts too because then he finishes it that's the point he's like clawing after the blanket and begging that's when he starts to like let me keep this one and that all of that is just so well put together um speaking of favorite line gentlemen i really really hope that wasn't going to be it for one of you guys but where are you guys going with favorite line i'm going to take it from a different angle mine was uh not a deep meaningful line it was kind of meant for comedy and to kind of show you where the characters were coming from but uh jim carrey's playing uh you know toddler jim carrey uh, hiding under the kitchen table and she lifts up her skirt and says my my crotch is still here and he goes yuck <laughs> and i i think it it one it got the laugh it, so it stood out a little bit but two um it was just a really well done piece of storytelling and how He's remembering th this memory and how, you know, sh she's kind of hidden in there, but yet they still have this connection. Um, you know, I've not seen too many. Well, I've seen maybe one or two other movies similar to this that try to pull off things like this in, in memories. And um, yeah, I think because of that, because of the, the comedy and being different than the rest and it just being more memorable, um, that's the line I'm going to pick. For me, it's the, you know, she a couple of times in this gives that that speech about, you know, too many guys think I'm a concept. And, uh, you know, after the last one, it's for me, my favorite line was he said, you know, I, I remember that speech really well. And she said, uh, I had you pegged, didn't I? 
and, and the line for me is you had the whole human race pegged. And I think that that uh, really sums this movie up well for me in terms of just the complexities, again, of relationships and, and um, how we all bring our baggage into it. And we're all imperfect and trying to make something better than ourselves uh, through a relationship. And uh, yeah, in that sense, uh, had the whole human race pegged. So that was my line. Mine is, it's not one specific line. It's a conversation back and forth. Um, it's near the end of the movie. It's uh, when that last memory is being taken away. And it's just a conversation between him and his his version of Clementine, what he sees in her. Um, but he, he's getting ready to walk out. And, you know, I have to go. I have to catch my ride. She says, so go. And then he kind of stops. And it's then this conversation of, you know, I did thought you were a nut but you were exciting i wish you had stayed and he says i wish i had stayed too now i wish i had stayed i wish i had done a lot of things i wish i had stayed i really do and just the things that come out in that conversation i won't read the whole thing but you know he's another line about you know i felt like a scared little kid i was in over my head and she asked him why you left and she said he's he's like you know you, you said it with such disdain when you told me to leave that's why and she's oh i'm i'm sorry like that to me was the realest conversation in the whole movie. It, it cut into what their issues are. Like she is impulsive. She does say things uh, without thinking about how they affect him. And he overthinks things, you know, he lets things boil in his mind. I just, there's so much connection going on there because like, I think anybody that's in any serious relationship at some point you've had to ask the question of if, if the relationship is worth it. And it's scary to have to ask that question. It's, terrifying and a lot of times if it, it you, you talk yourself into giving the wrong answer or at least you think you do and so i just think that conversation was so beautifully written and so well done with them with the house falling in the background and all that that was 100 percent my my favorite line in the movie and that uh will wrap it up guys this one uh i i echo brad's sentiment i'm thanking mike for picking it uh for the month of march uh, because it, it, it was a great one. Like, and I said too, though, will I ever rewatch this? I don't know. I don't know if I can emotionally handle rewatching it. Um, but if you haven't watched it and you just listen to this whole podcast, weird. Um, but, but definitely worth seeing because it is a beautiful piece of filmmaking and it was a great conversation to have. We hope you enjoyed that. Thank you for supporting the show next week. A big shift. Uh, there are some relationships ending uh, in next week's film, but that's because someone gets killed. Uh, we are talking Zodiac, uh, David Fincher's look into the Zodiac killer. Um, so be ready. We're shifting gears again, but another uh, re really good film uh, coming at you next week. But that's then. This was now. It was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Other than that, guys, for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan, and we'll see you next time.